0: kicking off a brand new series today and I um, want to start out with this um, question. Have you ever been angry? Wait a minute. Okay. That was a terrible question. <laughs> of course you have been angry. You're a human person and you're here. You have been angry. Um, probably a, a better question um, to ask would, would be like this. Um, how many of you have been angry already this morning? Yeah. <laughs> If you drove to church this morning, and those of you sitting at home maybe had a little easier. Um, but if you drove to church this morning, you had plenty of opportunities to be angry, right? Because you were not the only person on the road today. Uh, that is probably one of my biggest um, issues in uh, life: is is that car thing. And I don't think I have road rage, right? I'm like I don't, I don't get out of control. Uh, but yeah. I got behind this vehicle the other day. I mean, it had Sedgwick County plates, so you would expect it to speed. But instead of doing, they were going like 10 or 15 miles under the speed limit, um, and, and I was, you know, like, I'm, I'm like trying to get where I'm going, right? I'm stuck behind this vehicle, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, can't believe it. And finally, I'm, I can see that up ahead, the road widens, right? and So it goes from one lane to two lanes on 6th Street, and I'm like, ooh, all right, I'll be able to get around this person and get to where I'm going, like, it'll be okay. And uh, just as soon as we get to that place where the road widens, what do you think they did? They sped up, yeah. Yeah, then they were going five miles over the speed limit. Like, pick a side, right? Like, okay, five miles. So that means I had to go 10 miles over the speed limit to get around them, right? Because they need to know that I was stuck. Behind. Anyway, okay, you, you get it. All right, for, for 600 years, the religious leaders of, of Israel. And they were broken up into, into multiple groups, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, that 600 years, the religious leaders of Israel had been following and teaching the commands of God that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai, right? And, and, and the religious leaders, the people of Israel, they got pretty good at following those commands. Like, like they they knew them they kind of had them memorized they knew what they were doing they were knew when they were supposed to do it and and they kind of just followed through the the way they they were supposed to and and it, and it's it's kind of like okay they they did what they were supposed to um, c- kind of right like Okay, if you're an Israelite person and you sin, you become ritually unclean. You have to offer a sacrifice and you have to wash or do whatever. And then you're ritually clean again. Okay, that's the commands that God gave. Were really mostly about um, moral uh, laws and, and ritual um, purity. So um, they knew that if you committed a certain sin, you, would have, you had to go to the temple, you had to offer a sacrifice and then, you know, wash or do whatever and then you were you were made clean. You were forgiven for that sin. They got really good at following the command of going to the temple and doing the sacrifice. The problem is they didn't get good at not committing the sin in the first place. Right, so they, they were like, okay, if you commit this sin, then you have to go offer this animal and you have to sacrifice it and then that sin is forgiven. And the goal was that eventually they'd be like, well, if I don't commit the sin, then I don't have to offer the sacrifice. But they never made that connection, right? They were just like, well, but I'm obeying the law. I'm following the commands. And when I sin, I, I go and, and do this. So it was this whole big kind of mix-up thing. And then and then Jesus shows up, right? He, he, he walks in after 600 years and he tells the people, there's a better way to live, which totally rocked them, right? I mean, like, there's a better way to live. We got these laws and commands from God on Mount Sinai. Like, He spoke them to Moses. We heard His voice. We saw what was going on. Like, how could you have a better way than God's way? And, and so there was a lot of conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders because Jesus set Himself up as an authority. On the kingdom of God. He, he spoke as one. You read the New Testament, it says in the uh, biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it, it, it says that, that one of the things, one of the reasons that people were amazed at Jesus was because he taught as one with authority. And he set himself up like that, as an authority on the kingdom of God. But then the things that he said and the things that he did didn't fit what the people expected in line with the commands of God. And so there were several times in those biographies where, where Jesus or his disciples are doing something, the religious leaders like, don't you care that you're breaking the law? Like the, the disciples uh, one day, they were walking on the Sabbath on a Saturday, walking through a, a wheat field and they scooped up some heads of grain, they, they threshed them in their heads and they, and they ate the, the grain. And the religious leaders were like, you there's a law from God that you are not to cook, you're not to make a meal for yourself on the Sabbath and, and you just broke the command. So there were lots of opportunities for anger between the religious leaders and, and Jesus because they, they thought he was breaking the law of, of God by the things he said and the things that he, he did. So um, I'm going to lay something out In this first week of this new series as we're kind of looking at this, this new way to live that Jesus ushered in. I want to lay out three scripture verses, um, and, and it's going to be from Matthew 4, Matthew 5, then Jeremiah 31, and then at the end we're going to get to write what really is our text for today, and, and that's Matthew chapter 5, um, 21 to um, 20, 24, 26, um, where, where we're going to be at today. Okay, so that's kind of how we're going to lay things out. So let's start with Matthew four, twenty-three. Here's what it says. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, if you've been attending here online um, since the beginning of the year, we've talked a lot about what the gospel is, right? We've, we've, you've got, maybe you picked up one of those little cards out in, in the lobby or you've gone to the website you've read about our, our gospel statement. It starts out, Jesus the king died in our place and rose as our defender, that, that statement. We've talked a lot about the gospel, and, and, and you remember maybe Mark chapter 1, verse 14, where Mark says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And the gospel of God that he was proclaiming was that the kingdom had come and that our response to that coming kingdom was to repent, believe, and follow. And so in Mark chapter one and in Matthew chapter four, we see this kind of same phrase. He went throughout all Galilee, or came into Galilee. Now Galilee um, in that time period was kind of like uh, the other side of the tracks, right? You know what I mean? Like like it was the like if you if you wanted to pick up a um, you know a substance that was not legal. That's where you would go, right? I mean, that was just the 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 type of people that that were there. Um, Like it was just it was full of like poor, working class people. It was just the 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 good Jews, the righteous Jews, or the self righteous Jews, um, the, the the religious elite, right? They they didn't enjoy hanging out in in Galilee. In fact. Nazareth was a town in, in Galilee, and they had this saying, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So, if you're in, in, in Wichita, um, the, the way you would say that would be, Can anything good come out of Hazeville? Um, all right, we're El Dorado. Maybe you don't know this, but Wichita and Hazeville have a big <laughs> fight going on. Anyway, uh, it's been around a long time. So, that's kind of the way it was, right? Like, you, just, you don't go there. You don't hang out there. Uh, the, the religious leaders, when they had to go to Galilee, when they had to go to this, they, they just didn't like it. It just wasn't the best, uh, best place to be. And, and, and so um, they were not wealthy. They were not influential. They did not have, have power or position in, in society or religiously. They, they were just like, you know, what, what it was like salt of the earth kind of people. <laughs> Uh, they, they were those kind of people who, who clung to their religion and guns. Kind of, That's kind of the, the people that, that they were. And, and so the fact that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee or that he went into Galilee initially in the beginning of his ministry and was inviting these people, these Galileans into the kingdom of God, was, that was in itself offensive to the religious elite. Like, they didn't like that. That was not what they expected of the king who was to come, right? The Messiah that was to come was supposed to come for us because we're the righteous one. We're the elite. We're the ones who keep the commands of God, who are ritually pure, and we're, we've got all of this religion stuff figured out, and the Messiah should come for us. What is he doing spending his time with those people, right? That's kind of how they would talk. But, but that very thing is why people loved Jesus so much. It's, it's why churchy people hated him and why regular people loved him so much. Because he paid little attention to the right and the good and the influential. And he stayed, instead he spent his time with the lost and the least and the marginalized. He, he proclaimed the gospel, inviting the worst people into the kingdom... And then he treated them with dignity and worth like humans created in the image of God. And so they really didn't, um, they really didn't like that. See, Jesus' kingdom wasn't offered to those who, who thought they belonged. It was given to those who knew they didn't. And so Jesus himself said, I, I came not for the healthy, not for the well, not for those who think they're okay, but I came um, for the sick. I came to, to be with those people who know that they can't do it on their own and they, and they need some help. And so this caused a lot of trouble for Jesus among the religious um, elite. This is not how they would have written the Messiah story, right? It, it's, it's not what they expected. And, and so, caused a lot of friction and tension between the religious and between Jesus. And so, in, in, in chapter 4, Matthew tells us that, that Jesus came, he went into Galilee, and he was proclaiming the gospel. And then in chapter 5, Jesus lays out, kind of Matthew focuses his writing, as has Jesus lay out the tenets of this of this new kingdom that he was ushering in, right? And so um, we get chapter four. Jesus comes into Galilee. He's ushering in the kingdom. He's proclaiming the gospel. And then in chapter five, it, it begins what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the single largest kind of collection of Jesus' teaching, and, it, and it's rich with uh, with things that Jesus says that like just that make you kind of stop and think. And it's and it's it's deep work when you get into Matthew chapter 5. And so as you can imagine, every religious sect was there listening to what Jesus had to say. He's on the mountainside at Bethany and he's he's teaching. And so there's Pharisees and there's Sadducees, there's the Sanhedrin, which is like the um, religious supreme court of, of Israel. Um, uh, there's the scribes who were the guys who like really knew that like they were the legal secretary kind of things they kept all the notes and all that kind of stuff and then and then there were probably the Herodians were were probably there the Herodians were like not particularly religious people they, they really kind of um, were were groupies or lackeys of Herod who was the king of israel but he's the king that rome had set up so he was a fake king he wasn't in the line of of david the jews didn't recognize him as king but there were people there who followed him and kind of kind of worshiped him they were listening to what jesus had to say because in their mind he was saying such ridiculous and scandalous things like (laughs) things like woe to you pharisees and scribes. You, you clean the outside of the cup and you make it look really good, but the inside of the cup is, is is filthy. Those people like hated Jesus because of what he taught and the way that he taught it. He didn't just tell people to be clean and fed and clothed and, and free. That's how the religious leaders taught the old testament of, of God. Instead, Jesus Cleaned them and fed them and clothed them and set them free. And so we come to to um, uh, chapter five, and we're going to look at uh, um, I think it's verse seventeen. It comes right after the beatitudes and 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 maybe you've been around church for a while you've probably heard of the beatitudes um b- before like like blessed are the peacemakers uh, blessed are those who mourn uh, blessed are the poor in spirit and so Jesus goes through this whole list of blessed are all of these people that none of the religious leaders thought were blessed right like they they looked at their like The religious leaders and the people of of Jesus' day, they looked on the blessings of God like we often look on them uh, today. Um, And and they go, okay, if, if you are blessed by God that means you have a good job you have a good family you have a good car you have a good house you have good right like there's you got money in the bank and that is the visible signs of God's blessing in in your life and that's how the Jews looked at this and so Jesus was going no look blessed are the the poor and the meek and the and the disregarded and the marginal the, the least and they're like no wait a minute that's not What's going on? And so I think they, they were listening to what Jesus had to say. And, and, and they're thinking, man, when he gets to us, like I'm waiting for the blessed are the rich. Blessed are the right. Blessed are the ones who follow the will of God to the letter. But that doesn't come. What, what does come is um, the, the next um, The next verse let's go to that Uh, julie chapter uh, verse 17 Uh, what comes after the beatitudes is they're waiting for their own blessing right the religious leaders they're they're all waiting for god to bless them and instead he says this do not think that i have come to abolish the law or the prophets okay Uh, he says i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them now the the question why why would jesus say this because that's what they were thinking right I mean, that's, that's how it works. Like over and over in Scripture, it says um, Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to the man, um, so you'll know that your son of man has authority, to forgive sins, rise up, take your mat, and, and walk, right? So Jesus knew what they were thinking. And, and so he says, look, I, I, I know what you're thinking, but I have not come to abolish the, the law and, and the prophets, the, the law was um, what, what we call uh, Torah. The Torah, uh, t- today we might refer to it as the, the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And... Um, It's called the law because in those five books, um, primarily um, Exodus and Leviticus, that's where God lays out the law for the covenant between him and and the people, right? He says, this is what you have to do if I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And the rest of the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament uh, Jewish Bible, was summed up in, in the term prophets, so it's Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi and all, and all those guys. It's the prophet guys who, who wrote that, Samuel and all of those, okay? And there's minor prophets, major prophets, all that kind of thing. But, but really for the, for the Jewish people, you have the law, the Torah, and, and you have the prophets. And so Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets, the Torah and the prophets. Now, the, the way that Jesus talked the way that he preached, the way that he presented himself, convinced the religious leaders that he was initiating a new set of rules, like a new set of laws. That's why they were upset with him, right? Because, because when, when they questioned the disciples, they questioned Jesus, like, why are your disciples threshing grain and eating it on the, on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, don't you know the Scriptures? That the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the sabbath it was totally rocked their world like they'd never heard anything like this but before and and so this is what they thought they thought he was doing away with the law of god and and i think how would we feel if somebody walked in today and said the bible that you have is not correct there's another bible there's another new testament and it has the truth in it we, we would not like like you want to fight, <laughs> right? Like, that's how it would go. And so that's what's happening with the religious uh, leaders. Now, we get how Jesus fulfills the, the prophets. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he, he wrote this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and open prison doors. And and so Jesus comes along and he reads this passage, and, and, and then he says, um, I'm the fulfillment of that prophecy from that prophet. And, and we today, we look at them, we go, okay, I get that. Like there's a, there's a prophecy about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfills that, and it's obvious because that's what he did, right? He set the prisoners free, and he bound up the broken heart. Like we, we get that. But how do, you defil, how do you fulfill commands? How do you fulfill commands? the Torah. Now, surely the religious leaders believed that they were the ones who actually fulfilled the law, the the Torah, and they fulfilled it by obeying it. They they did what they were supposed to do. If you sin, you make a sacrifice. And so that's what they did. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I came to fulfill the Torah? That this, this Old Testament, the commands, how do you even do that well. It's a um, it's a big concept, but it comes up kind of over and over in in scripture. Um, uh, Dr. Tim Mackey, uh, the guy, one of the guys who started the Bible Project, he he said it this way: What Jesus was talking about, and what's going on in this in this passage, is 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 about cultivating the mindset of a disciple, like asking, where do I look? to discern God's will for living as a disciple. And, and that's, that's what we're really, we're really talking about, okay? Do, do I look to the Old Testament Torah, the, the, the commands of God, or do I look to Jesus? Where is our authority for how to live as a disciple of, of Jesus? So for 600 years, the people of Israel had looked to the Torah for how to live. And in the process, right, they followed the letter of the law, but they missed its intent. So to understand what Jesus is actually saying, we've got to go back and kind of dive back into the Old Testament scripture. So here's the process nutshell version. God calls this guy named Abraham. And we don't know anything about him other than he's like the, I think it's great-great-grandson of, of Noah. Great-great-great-grandson. I don't know. It's one of those greats, pretty close to, to Noah. In fact, Abraham was born just um, not, not very many, like 30, 40 years, something like that, after Noah dies. But we don't really know anything about him. Like, he, he's not a righteous man like, like Job, we're, we're told about him, or, or others, He's just this obscure guy, he's just this dude walking down the street. And all of a sudden, God talks to him, he calls him out of obscurity, and and he says, for no real reason, he just says, Abraham, I've chosen you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you into a a, a, a nation because of who I am, right? So this is God. Not because of who you are, Abraham, but because who I am, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you, and I'm gonna make you into a nation. And and not only that, but all the people of the whole earth are gonna be blessed through you, and they're gonna know me because of you. Now, eventually, a- Abraham's offspring, as they go through the generations, becomes more people. Right? Like that was the promise God promised Abraham he was gonna have children be more numerous than the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. And so when the family gets to about the size of 70 people, they leave the land of Canaan and they move down into Egypt because there is a famine in in the land. And they're in in Egypt for a, a, a long time. It ends up being about 450 years. And about 250 of those years, Pharaoh, this is like the bad guy in the, in the story, right? He's just a bad dude. And so he enslaves the Israelite people for about 250 years. And then God hears their cry and he powerfully frees them from Egypt, right? The 10 plagues come and, and God leads them out of Egypt, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of of, of fire, and he leads them not just out of Egypt, but he leads them to this place called Mount Sinai. If you, if you look on a map, Turkey, Old Testament is called uh, Jabel El Laws, it's a Mountain of Laws. Uh, today, now when they get to this um, mountain, God's presence comes and rests on the mountain, and it, and it rests on the mountain in what appears to be like this incredible thunderstorms like lightning and thunder and it's like just craziness and the people are so scared they're like Moses you you go talk to God we we can't bear to hear his his voice so God speaks to Moses to the people and he says I carried you out of Egypt on eagle's wings and here's my plan I'm gonna be your God and you're gonna be my people And I'm going to bless you and protect you and provide for you. I'm going to make you prosper. I'm going to turn you into a nation of priests who will reveal my character to all other nations of the world. It's a big order, right? It's a big deal. And he says, and I'm going to do this. All of these things I'm going to do as long as you agree to the terms of this covenant. The covenant is just a, a relationship, right? It's a relationship that I'm initiating between us. And the terms of that covenant are the commands. And, and so we know that story, right? Moses goes up on the mountain. He talks to God. God gives him the 10 commands. You have no other God before me. And don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And don't covet and don't murder and don't steal. Like, we, like all those 10 commandments there. And, and God says, if you follow my commands, these, these 10 and then about um, 603 more that come about in the rest of Exodus and, and uh, in Leviticus, the rest of the Torah, if you follow these commands, I'll take care of everything else. Now, this is a good deal for the people. It's a good deal for the people. So God is making them into a kingdom. He selected them out from among the nations of the world, not because they were the best, but just because that's who he chose. And they are to live a unique life among the nations, to show who God is to all the other nations of the world. Now, Old Testament, that's what happens. Fast forward 600 years. Jesus is standing on a mountainside in Bethany. Uh, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people standing in front and listening to him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the scribes, they're all there uh, listening to him. And, and the question is, um, for the last 600 years, how have the people of Israel done in obeying the commands and fulfilling the, their part of the covenant relationship with God? They've done terrible, Right? It's horrible. (laughs) Like, it's like they, they took it all and they just burned it down and they, they like, they, they, they left. In fact, the the Bible and the Old Testament prophets, they talk about it like this, that Israel hoard itself out. That's the language that they use, hoard itself out to other gods. They totally abandoned. Like, yes, they, they went to the temple and they offered the sacrifice and they came out of the temple and they went to the temple of another God and they worshiped and fornicated and did all kinds of things there right so so they they followed the command kind of 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 God but like but only in action, and then they totally did whatever they wanted to outside of that uh, um, and and so God God lets another nation destroy them, and Babylon comes in and totally decimates not just Jerusalem but but israel and, and the people of of, of Judah, like he, he, he rocks it. Mackey says it this way, that God honored the dignity of their decision. I like that. Their decision was to not worship God alone and to follow after other gods and to worship the way that the people in the nation before them worshiped. And, and so God said, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'm going to honor that. And and like here's what happens: Babylon comes and conquers them, and destroys it, and tears the temple down, and enslaves the people, and they takes them away. Like this is this is Egypt, right? It's being played all over again, except this time it was Israel's choice. Like it was their sin, their decision to lead this uh, uh, to lead to this. So let's go back to Jeremiah, where we were last week, and just a couple chapters um, later than that. Jeremiah is a prophet to Israel while the people are in exile in in Babylon. And and here's what Jeremiah says. Behold, the days are are coming. So it's in the future sometime, declares the Lord. And I'm gonna make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. No, uh, uh, my covenant that, that they broke, right? He's just reminding them, by the way, you blew it. Like, not me, right? This was your fault. Though I was a husband to them. Like, I, I cared for them, and I loved them, and I provided, and I protected, and I, and I blessed. But, but they hoard themselves out to, to other gods. That's um, what, he's, what he's saying here. So God tells them, you broke the covenant because of your sin. However, there will come a day when I will make a new covenant. With you. And it's not going to be like the old covenant we made at Sinai because you have proven that you're incapable of keeping that that covenant. Um, So, this is what's so amazing. At the lowest point of Jewish history, they had a husband who loved them and protected and provided them, but they left him and chased after other gods. And God's response. To their adultery, their spiritual adultery, to their um, brazen sin, was to move closer to them. He says, All right, you can't keep this covenant. Well, I'll make a new one that you can keep. Next few verses. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. All right, so he's, he's going like there's a new covenant. It's going to replace the old one, and here's what it's going to be like. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be my their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So new covenant. No longer will the law be an external thing for you to follow out of duty or obligation or fear of punishment instead I'm going to write my law within you I'm going to write it on your heart and the outcome will be the same right I'll be your God you'll be my people but the means of fulfilling that covenant is going to completely change And so Jeremiah says that this new covenant, it it isn't an outside force trying to conform you to the law. This covenant will transform your heart so that you will naturally live like a disciple because you'll choose godly things, not because of fear, but because you've been forgiven. It's right, a totally different thing. But the means of the covenant is is going to um, change. So uh, let me explain it this way. He says that, that sin and iniquity, that adultery, chasing after, the, doing all of the things, all of that sin, he says, I'm just going to not remember it anymore. That, can you imagine that? <laughs> it, like in my life, I've done things that have you know, not always been great, um, and, and maybe you have too, and, and, and maybe you've experienced some forgiveness. It's the forgetting part that's hard, right? Like we can choose to forgive somebody and say, I forgive you, but every time something leads up to this point, I remember even if I choose not to respond based on that sin, right? That's how we function with forgiveness. But God says, I'm going to remember their sin n- no more. In the midst of Israel's greatest sin and the punishment of exile for that sin, God says, I'm going to forgive and then forget your spiritual adultery. So anger, right, would, would be a natural response Um, to this adultery that Israel has, has, has committed. Forgiveness is not a natural response, certainly for us. God wants to renovate the heart of humanity through his overwhelming forgiveness. This new covenant is based on forgiveness instead of a strict adherence to the commands of God. So Jeremiah says God is doing a new thing. It's the same people, but a new plan. It's the same payoff, right? It'll be your God, you'll be my people, but it's a new process. It's not an external set of rules. It's an internal relationship that changes our external routines. It's discipleship, right? It's an internal relationship that changes our external routines. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 21, Matthew said, or Jesus is is talking here and, and he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's the Old Testament, that's the covenant law, right? You kill somebody for no cause, you will be killed. It's cut and dry. Don't murder or the judgment is that you will be murdered. Look at what Jesus says next. But I say to you, it's like, you, here's the Old Testament law. you know that, you've heard about that, you've been taught that. I'm going to tell you something new. I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother, the, the, the Greek word there's brother or sister. It's a, a fellow believer, like neighbor, like people you have a relationship with, Um, Anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of of fire. Now I want you to know those three those three things, see, those three judgments, they're, they're not separate, right? This is basically referring to the same thing. Those are all synonymous, the Sanhedrin, the God. I mean, it's all um, wrapped in together. So don't get too caught up in, in, in all of that. The, the, the point is, the, the big thing is, we, we go, um, whoever is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Oh, crap. Because some of us just admitted we've been angry already this morning. Church day. That's not supposed to happen. And so we're going to be held to judgment. Like, what is going on? Jeremiah um, says, because I, I, don't, I don't know if you caught it in, in, that, in that thing, but Jeremiah says that the new covenant will not be a law on paper, but it will be a way of living written on the heart. See, murder is a physical act carried out against another person, but murder reveals an attitude of the heart, pride, contempt, or anger. And the only way you get to the point of murder is if you have given anger and hate and malice or bigotry free reign in your heart. The religious leaders of Jesus' day thought that if you didn't murder, you weren't guilty. (laughs) As long as you didn't pick up the knife or the stone or whatever it is and kill them, you're good. But Jesus goes deeper and he addresses the root issue of the problem of murder. And he says, when we degrade humanity, the humanity of another person made in God's image by what we say or what we do, we're erasing their humanity. And so we murder in our hearts long before we murder with our hands. And that's what Jesus wants to address, He fulfills the Torah by helping us understand the fuller meaning. See, being a disciple is not just about being right with God through Jesus. For you and I, it's not just about being right. Easton talked about in the communion, talk, it's not just about being right with God through Jesus. It's about being right with others because of Jesus. But Because, in fact, look look at the issue of forgiveness in Scripture. Because we have been forgiven, we then should forgive. And because God has shown us mercy for our sin, we should show mercy to others when they sin against us. In fact, Scripture goes on to say, um, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so Jesus says, look, if you refuse to show mercy and forgiveness to other people... Why would you come and expect mercy and forgiveness from me? For most of us, murder is not a problem. We've never thought about taking the life of another person, even when they do something like do something bad, like cut us off in traffic. We've never thought, I'm just gonna kill them. For most of us. But we have all been angry. I haven't been a bit mad about somebody else because they did something. And and, and typically what we're, we're like we're mad at a person, but really probably we're more angry about something else. We're taking out on them. And so it's unjust anger. We respond from a place of pride when we act as the judge and jury on the road and we speed around somebody and we give them our um, one-finger verdict of their behavior. We show contempt for those different from us by calling them derogatory names based on the way they look or their skin color or developmental challenge. We let anger win when we fly off the handle for something that really wasn't that bad. Let me go back to Tim Mackey. He said, Jesus didn't abolish the command not to murder. He brought it to a new degree of fulfillment. We cultivate the mindset of a disciple by looking more like Jesus every day, by checking the motivations of our heart and not just the actions of our hands, by realizing that we can't be right with God if we're wrong with others. Let's pray. God, I thank you first of all for, for recognizing that, that we can't live up to the, to the commands of the, of the Torah. We just can't try 600 years to do it and we couldn't. And, 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 and right, we knew that we couldn't because we couldn't even follow the one command in the garden to not eat of the fruit of that one tree. There were millions of other trees to eat from. Like our our tendency, our our nature is to sin. We're we're selfish in our nature and we wanna go our own way and do our own thing and you recognize that and so you made a way, a new covenant, not a covenant that is dependent on our ability to follow a set of, of rules or laws but a covenant built on the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on forgiveness and forgetfulness on your part. And because of that, God, we have received the righteousness of your son, Jesus, not because we are righteous, but because we believe, we have faith, and, and, and when we do, because of that faith relationship with you, you write the laws, the laws of the, of the Torah, but even deeper than that, the greater fulfillment of, of what that law even meant. And you write that on our hearts so it's not just our, our hands that are kept from sin, but you change our hearts so that we don't even want to sin. And honestly, God, that's foreign a lot of times. And yet you say, as we follow you, as we learn to look more like Jesus every day, that you continue to write your word on our heart and you give us the the power through the Holy Spirit to change the way that we live, the daily routines of our life. And so God, this week, There's a small chance that any of us in this room are gonna go out and commit murder. But there is a huge chance that we're gonna act in pride towards somebody else, that we're gonna show contempt for somebody else because they're not like us, they don't think like us, process like us. It's a big chance that we're gonna be angry with somebody for something that they may not even realize they have done. It's in those moments this week that we ask you to to bring your word up from our hearts so that we remember what you have forgiven us for so we can show forgiveness and grace and mercy to others. Would you help us to let what you are writing on our hearts become how we live with our hands? God, help us in that, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, thanks for being here this morning, for helping kick off this first series. Next Sunday, um, we are gonna have part two, and we're gonna be dealing with the issue of lust. So that should be really fun. So come back for that one. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 AM. We hope. You'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.